0: And welcome to it. Inside the yard, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold. And coming up on today's program, we'll talk to Super Duper utility man Pat Valenko, who's having a pretty good year offensively. And we'll talk trade deadline and other Orioles news and notes with Rock Kabako for our insider segment. A lot of interesting stuff coming up with Rock on the deadline and what a lot of questions and more questions certainly than answers right now around baseball when it comes to a deadline in this environment with this season. But, Jeff, uh, Pat Vileka, who really had to impress in the first spring training and then had to re-impress in the summer camp, and then has come here and because of injuries and other things, has gotten a lot of time and a lot of time at shortstop, and he's hit.
1: Blake, who is expected to be like a super utility infielder, has become a, a super starter utility guy for the Orioles. Sometimes he's at short, sometimes he's at left, sometimes he's at second, sometimes he's at first, we've seen him at third. I mean, he can play anywhere on the diamond, and I have to imagine it's pretty tough to get into a defensive routine, and we talk to him a little bit about that when we have him on as our guest. But, yeah, he's done everything that they've asked him to do. He's been really steady. He's put up some good at-bats with two strikes. We talk about his two-strike approach. And he's been a good addition to the team this year. It was fun to watch him in the Red Sox series where he had three home runs in as many days and was just locked in every time he was up at the plate.
0: Yeah, interesting guy with an interesting baseball family history that we'll get into coming up. So we have Pat and then Rock, and it's coming up right now on Inside the Yard. And joining us right now on Inside the Yard is Orioles infielder Pat Vileka. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, you've obviously uh, made the club, signed on basically to be a super utility player. You've been that uh, and then some, uh, but uh, I'm sure you couldn't have anticipated playing as much as you have. Uh, Tell us about the season so far.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think it's gone pretty well, I think. We've played uh, played well as a team. Um, you know we've got some good stretches and been through some tough ones. So, but I think we're right in the thick of it and uh just excited to uh you know we got one month left. So, so it's almost it's almost over already.
1: Pat, it's Jeff. What is it like when you have a series against the Red Sox where you have home runs in three straight games? Are you just itching to get into the batter's box, like when when you get closer to your spot in the lineup? And what is that like when you're just in a rhythm like that?
2: Yeah, that was a, that was a cool little stretch. Uh, but you know, I didn't—I wasn't really thinking about it to be honest. Um, I mean, I was—it wasn't uh, something that I was ever trying to do, you know. I, I always believe I've never hit a home run when I'm trying to hit a home run. You know, they just kind of happen, so.
0: But I was excited to be in a lineup every day, that's for sure. Now, you've played pretty much everywhere. How much preparation goes into playing around as you do, including for you, the outfield at times this year? How difficult is it to really not know where you might be on a given day when you show up to the ballpark?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the job, though. Uh, you know, usually they give us um, a fair amount of, uh, fair warning of where, you know, they might be playing tomorrow. So, you know, they're they're good about uh giving giving me some time to get some reps at whatever position. Um, you know, even in the outfield I was working every day early work with uh Anthony Sanders. So, you know, they've they've done a good job of not, you know, ambushing you and making sure you're prepared.
1: How many gloves do you have? Like how many fielding gloves do you have? <laughs>
2: I have like 10 gloves it's it's sickening (laughs) I just bring a huge bag just my gloves
3: how long Uh, does it
1: take for you to break a glove in like how, how long is that process and what's like the method in which when you get a new glove you start working on it so that it can become a gamer glove for you
2: yeah I mean usually the my infield glove I've worn it I've used it for maybe three years now um I just like the way it feels, but it's getting, it's getting old. So I actually just had uh, one of our trainers, uh, Mark, Mark Shires. Uh, I gave him a glove to, to uh, break in for me just cause I didn't, I didn't have really time to do it. Uh, and man, he did, he did a good job on it already. So, but just playing catch with it. And I mean, I have gloves and then you need backup gloves and, just a lot of gloves,
0: Pat, you've had a big statistical jump this year in the power department and really hitting all around from what you did last year uh, how do you, What do you attribute that to?
2: I think just just growing as a player and you know realizing how pitchers were attacking me and you know realizing the mistakes I was making and you know making a a conscious effort to, uh, you know, change some things and just get better and, you know, working with Don and Pito has been really good for me. And, um, you know, learning from different coaches and different eyes, is, it's always a good thing.
1: When you talk to those guys and, and when you start thinking yourself about two-strike approach, I mean, one of the things that we've noticed is you're, you're pretty hard-nosed when you get to two strikes. When you get to that point and you're trying to stick around and when you get two strikes against you, uh, what is your two-strike approach?
2: Um, I mean, trying to shrink the zone. Um, You know, pitchers, they got some nasty stuff. So, you have to – you know, you got to be tough. And, you know, they're going to throw some some crazy stuff at you. And I think the the big thing for me is just to try to – put the ball in play um, you know oh, there's been some I've gotten some two strike hits where it was I was just sticking my nose in there and trying to put the ball in play any way I can so um, you know just keeping my eyes with the barrel and on the ball and you know just knowing the zone a little better
0: yeah one of those was early in the year a walk off against the Rays tough matchup against Chaz Rowe, just. Nasty to right-handers. You were down two strikes, and you did exactly what you just described. Uh, you kind of stuck your nose in there and found some grass in right field. Yeah, that guy's – that slider is – it's one
2: of the best in the in the league. So, um, you know, that, that was exactly – I was just doing anything to to uh, put the ball in play and make sure that it was close to being a strike. So, I mean, that's – you know, that's a testament to working with Don and, and Pito this year.
1: You've worked with Don and you have also gotten a chance to work with your your brother Chris, who is a former major league player as well, who's now the minor league hitting coordinator for the Cubs. And you're one of uh, four Valekas who has played professional baseball. How competitive uh were you and your, your brothers growing up?
2: Yeah, um You know, we love to uh, just play outside. Um, You know, we grew up just in the front yard playing baseball with each other, you know. Um, And then as we got older, it was – we were, you know, every day there was practice or there was a game on the weekend. So, you know, growing up, our our childhood revolved around around baseball. So, we got a lot of it.
0: Last one for me. uh, I I – want to thank you for sending a foul ball my way. You didn't know this obviously on Sunday a day game against Boston. I'm in a suite where I was doing my sideline reporting for television. You were peppering us. And finally one actually got to us, uh, which I really appreciate. So thank you for that. Uh, it was a long at bat and you kept fouling ones off to the right side uh, into the second level of Camden yards. One thing I cannot believe though, is, you know, you may contact with this ball once and you can't see this right now. And it's already kind of come apart. Like, it's amazing that these baseballs, you know, they just they just come undone basically, and and all the imprints on are already faded away just by one time making contact.
2: It's crazy, isn't there? Uh, like the life of a
0: baseball is like average is like three pitches or I don't know. But
2: <laughs> baseballs
0: baseballs go fast in this game. But thank you. They put me in an isolation booth when I'm doing salary report. so I felt like I had a visitor on Sunday. So thank you for that. <laughs>
2: There you go. I'll have to sign
1: it
0: for you. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, last one for me. I um,
1: wanted to ask you about uh, you went to UCLA and you played your freshman year. Garrett Cole was there and Trevor Bauer was there. What do you remember about Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer uh, that first year with the Bruins?
2: Uh, the amazing, amazing pitchers. Uh, they go about their business, I would say two different ways, but uh. You know they're they're both extremely competitive, and uh, you know Garrett struck out 11 on Friday, Trevor wanted 12. You know, and that was just kind of how they uh, how they worked, and uh, you know it was, it was fun to play behind them, and you know you knew they were going to be special pitchers, and you know they they definitely are.
0: Well, Pat Faleka, we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll catch up soon.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we're almost there. The baseball trade deadline is at the end of August here in 2020, and joining us right now for our insider segment, Masson's Rock Kubacko, and Rock, uh, it's one of those annual big times of the year in baseball it's a month late but uh, it should be interesting few days for the Orioles and throughout baseball
3: it's a big mystery it's, it's interesting I feel like executives are having more trouble reading the market than they ever have before because they don't know how a shortened and I'm going to say truncated my friends how a truncated season that's a dollar yeah that's, that's a, a dollar, dollar
1: by the way there's a we're we're, we're, we're on a fining system now
3: <laughs> it's a it's late enough for a drinking game right I can do a shot every time I say truncated <laughs> <laughs> uh you don't know how that's gonna impact the market there you know there are more teams that can make the playoffs so I guess that means you have more buyers so that might hurt the teams that are trying to unload players or maybe that helps because there are more teams that are looking uh to get players but then maybe they're more hesitant to take on salary because of the lost revenue in a 60 game season with no fans so honestly we talked to Michael Lyce about it and he goes We could make a couple trades or we could make none. Like he just doesn't know. I think everybody knows who's available. There are no really untouchables on this team and which guys he might be more motivated to move and who's maybe more in demand, but it's just, it's tough to get a read on what teams are willing to do. And let's say a guy like Alex Cobb, who I think is owed about 15 million next year. How much salary does a team want to take on for an Alex Cobb? How much of that would the Orioles have to eat? Even Michael Gibbons is, you know, Making the over three, three point two whatever, and he's got another year of arbitration, so you get another year of control, but then what's that going to cost you? But relievers seem to be in demand, so maybe he's in demand because of that, and the Orioles are in a position of strength. We just don't know.
1: Given where the Orioles are, and when we're taping this, the Orioles check in two games below 500, but they're right around that final wild card spot. Do you rock expect it's going to be a deal where There's a chance that the Orioles might make some trades, but does it seem unlikely to you that they're going to bring anybody on?
3: I feel like they could still go ahead. More than likely, though, probably what they're looking to do is to bring in pieces to provide depth in the minors. Now, remember the Andrew Kashner trade. It was two Dominican Summer League outfielders. I mean, you know, they were looking to really strengthen the lowest levels of the system. So they could be looking to go that way. I definitely don't think they're suddenly going to become buyers because they're still in playoff contention and really go for it, which I think a lot of fans would like for them to do. Uh, The only way that that would have maybe influenced them, let's say if they were still above 500, uh, maybe in second place, is maybe they would have been a little more uh, tempted to hold on to somebody who otherwise would have been a piece. If they didn't feel like they were going to get much back anyway, maybe as well hold on to him because he could help in this, this pennant drive. But that's about the only thing. And I think that they would look to get some minor league pieces. I know that, you know, the Richard Blyer trades for a player to be named later, and I'm fairly certain they know who that is, but they're not going to announce it until after the season. So it doesn't have to be somebody in a Marlin 60 player pool. That makes you think it's probably somebody in a lower level of the minors. Uh, so I think that's kind of still what they're looking to do to infuse that talent and, uh, and provide depth in the system. So I don't, I don't think they're necessarily going to make a swap or they're going to bring in a big contract, a veteran, you know, who's going to help aid them in their you know, push to try and make the playoffs this year, which, by the way, they would like to do. Like, I, they would like to have the best of both worlds. It'd be awesome to make the playoffs, but they're not going to do it at the expense of the rebuild. That's, real, that's a real tricky balancing act.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, you mentioned some of the more obvious trade candidates, Givens, Cobb, and then, you know, I guess I'd throw out someone like Malone, who's been among the team's Uh, most consistent starting pitchers. Uh, Anyone else I'm missing here, Rock, who would, you know, be desired and also the team would be willing to part with?
3: Yeah, and I feel like a Miguel Castro, And even though I know the Orioles would probably have that fear of, you know, we finally give up on this guy, and all of a sudden he does become that dominant reliever setup whatever that they've envisioned all along because he's got such a great arm he's just been inconsistent and had trouble you know repeating the delivery which is something he'd been working on working out of the stretch so I think there's that concern that he's going to suddenly just blossom somewhere else but that's another salary that's going up and up because of his arbitration eligibility and again relievers are in demand so if you could get something for him and Hanser Alberto believe it or not the guy that lived on the waiver wire <laughs> at one time suddenly looks like a trade chip for a team that's looking for you know, an infielder, somebody that can play second, third, can fill in it short if you need it, mashes against left handers. He's been better against right handers. You know, he's not going to hurt you defensively. I don't think he's going to win a gold glove, but he's not like, you know, Wilson Betamit, like, oh my God, please don't hit the ball to him type thing. Uh, so that's a guy. You know, the only thing is that they, they are thin in the middle infield prospects who are close to major league ready right now, which is why you sign a Jose Iglesias. Who, by the way, also could have been a trade ship, but I think, now. You know, the injury, even though he's coming back soon, still, that's been kind of a nagging thing. He had the back issue before that. Teams might be worried about his durability right now, giving up anything substantial. The Orioles have an option on him. They may say, look, why don't we just revisit this over the winter or next season, if it's a normal season, and he becomes a trade ship at the deadline again. But that's another guy who some teams could say, hey, plus-plus defender and having a career year at the plate. Uh, So I think there's, it's those guys basically, you know, certainly not Wade LeBlanc, you know, he was a pitcher. Well, anyway, now he's, he's done for the year, but Malone. Yes. He's that type of guy who some team might say, Hey, back end of the rotation swing man type, he's doing pretty well and you don't have to give up a whole lot. He's not going to really move the needle in the rebuild from the Orioles standpoint. But, you know, if you can get something, even a low level minor leaguer that they like for someone like Tommy Malone, I think you go ahead and do that.
1: Do you think any teams, Rock, might be kicking the tires on somebody like a Renato Nunez because he's a power-hitting, first-base DH type? Um, you're, you're not going to have to pay him big bucks. And so he seems like somebody that might be pretty desirable. Do you think there are going to be any teams kicking the tires on somebody like him?
3: On Noonie? Is that what we're talking about, Noonie? Noonie.
1: Yep, Nune. By
3: the way, how do we spell Nooney? I know that's not as big a concern for you guys, but I've seen N-U-N-I-E. I go N-O-O-N-I-E. I, I'm not sure really what to that's do. That's what
1: him. I go with. I go with N-O-O-N-E, even though it's probably not right. But that, that's kind of the that's kind of what I prefer as well.
3: Yeah, Noon. Uh, see, that's another guy exactly who I think you have to at least consider. Now he, you know, a little limited because some teams may look at him as really more of a DH, but. He has been playing a lot of first base and, and he's holding his own. And you can know, third base, he's got a very strong arm. It's just not accurate. I heard that about him from the minute that they had acquired him when they signed him from Oakland or claimed him. Uh, but that's somebody, yeah, that's a big bat that some team might say, you know, we're looking for a guy who can drive in runs and, and you know, corner infield DH type. So I would think so as well. Is he a piece of the rebuild? I know there are guys the Orioles would like to hold on to, like a Tanner Scott. I'm guessing Tanner Scott could draw some interest, but the Orioles have to be thinking, look, moving forward, team control and what this guy can do for us, maybe even a potential closer down the road, or an Andrew Miller type, you want to hold on to him. Nunez is another one you have to think about. Uh, you know, Maybe they feel like you know, they could use that kind of a power bat and hold on to him, or they're projecting farther ahead and saying, well, let's see, Mountcastle in left, Santander in right, what do we do with Mancini? Yep. Chris Davis under contract. There's no indication that they're going to just walk away from that. So they may feel like we have to clear a spot here by next season anyway. So I think that does at least bring him into the discussion.
0: Uh, last one for me, Rock, uh, talking about this rotation. And, uh, you know, I guess if Malone is moved, they would clear another spot, but LeBlanc is out now. Uh, Wojciechowski struggled the last time we saw him on Wednesday night. Uh uh, Michael Elias mentioned that Dean Kramer was, quote, knocking on the door a few days ago. How do you see this rotation shaking out between Aiken, who pitched out of the bullpen on Wednesday night, uh, maybe they go to Jorge Lopez, who they recently acquired and also pitched out of the bullpen uh, recently and a few times, and then perhaps other prospects who are knocking on the door?
3: Yeah, this is taking us back to that weird balancing act because Brandon Hyde basically said that he's looking at Aiken more out of the bullpen right now instead of just experimenting with the kid in the rotation, because, hey, we're, we're in win now mode, like they still want to try and win games, they still want to make a run at this. But at what point do you say, okay, it's time now to go ahead and give Aiken starts and Dean Kramer, as opposed to bringing up Kramer and then saying, well, I guess you're in the bullpen too, because we're in win now mode, and we're not ready to to, you know, toss a, a rookie into the rotation. I think you're going to have to reach a point, maybe if they fall a little farther out of this thing, where they say, okay, let's do this now, and let's Let's put in Aiken, and let's put in Kramer, uh, along with you know whatever you can get out of John Means this year, uh, and we assume Wojaszkis still you know going to be around in the club and not be traded unless somebody's interested there. But uh, you maybe start filtering in more of the of the kids then in the rotation. But until they're ready to I guess concede the postseason, it sounds like it's it's something that Michael or that uh, Brandon Hyde's not really interested in doing right now. And maybe he feels like he has a better chance for some of these veterans. Now I'm sure there are plenty of fans who are going to make the counter argument. Well, it's not like Wojciechowski is given you seven innings to start. He's got an ERA of five something. So you know, but hey, Aiken might be a pretty nice weapon coming out of the bullpen right now, <laughs> and it's it is experience for him. It's, they don't feel like it's going to stun his development. But I feel like at some point later this summer, Aiken and Kramer are going to end up in this rotation unless the Orioles go on one of these you know bizarre runs and it's a bizarre year. And all of a sudden they're like in the wild card hunt or better. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now we can't do this. And we're, you know, but again, the counter arguments like, well, the veterans you have right now aren't necessarily huge difference makers. The rotation has not been necessarily a strength of the club. I just think that right now they're hesitant to filter in these rookies while they still think they might be able to make a run.
1: Rock, uh, last one for me, Uh, John Means, um, I know that the changeup, he's still trying to figure out how to locate it where he wants to. Um, is that really the the big problem right now for Means? Is that the difference for you? Is that that changeup just hasn't been there? And, and how does he get it turned around?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's 100% it. You talk to him, you talk to Hyde or anybody else, he just doesn't have a feel for the changeup. And that's his bread and butter pitch. His velocity is really good with the fastball. We're looking 95, 96 from John Means. If you told me, when he made his debut at Fenway Park in September the other year that he was going to be able to do that, I would have been like, you're insane. Uh, But maybe the extra speed on that changeup, maybe that's causing a problem. I tried to float that idea the changeups like three or four miles per hour faster than it used to be. And maybe that is part of the problem. Maybe you've got to, you know, I think it's it's almost like he's got to regain his feel for that pitch, but I think that's really impacted him besides the fact that obviously you had the long interruption with the layoff and, you know, starting the year on the IL and then, you know, having to leave the club, you know, going on the bereavement list and, the, you know, the, the uneven work. I mean, the guy's still building himself up in, in late August. That is far from ideal. So I think that's a big part too. But as far as his uh, effectiveness uh, being impacted, I think the change up is a big reason. And, me, and I you know, I'm just theorizing. I'm not a pitching coach. though. sometimes I play one on TV. But I feel like if you're adding three or four miles per hour on a change and suddenly you don't seem to have a feel for it and it's not working for you, then that's the first thing I would think about is maybe you need a little more separation between that and the fastball. And, and maybe then you can regain that feel because that, that is his pitch, his big pitch and, and what has made, really made his career. And then all of a sudden it's not there for him.
0: Rocobacco of MassinSports.com. And Massin, Rock, we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Hey, thank you, guys. That's Rockabaco of Massinsports.com. And I'm really intrigued what happens here at the deadline, not only for the Orioles, Jeff, but around baseball. It's just unclear how active teams will be, even if they really want to be buyers or if they really want to be sellers. It's not that simple right now. And then from a rotation standpoint for the Orioles, you know, the, the reports at a buoy on some of the younger arms that we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about. We talked about it with Kenny Seenstra in our last podcast. Uh, everyone that comes up, we heard Hunter Harvey. Uh, who's with the team this week traveling from Bowie and everybody is just saying Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Michael Bauman are just wow. I mean, it's just wow right now. But we heard from Michael Elias over the last few days that that Dean Kramer looks great and is knocking on the door, and there's at least one rotation spot open right now, perhaps more to come. We'll see what happens to the deadline. But that's the other thing to watch, I think, in the back half of this season for the Orioles.
1: Yeah, it really is. Kramer, I think the reason why they went to Aiken first is because Aiken just had a full year of AAA last year. Kramer had a couple of starts, and that was about it. This is the kind of year, though, where some guys are going to get pushed to the major leagues, even if they haven't had as much development time at, at AAA or A AA or whatever the organization they play for, figures that they need, because there is no minor league season this year. So everyone's had to improvise a little bit. But, yeah, the reports have been really solid. I also thought it was cool when, when talking about uh, Dean Kramer with Gary Kendall in another recent podcast, how uh, you talk about Kramer's slider has really impressed him and how he's, he's liked the feel of that pitch. So, a lot to be really pleased with right now. Michael Bauman, it sounds like the, the curveball has been really developing nicely for him. One thing that I saw from him in the minor leagues was he needed, he needed something a little bit softer to get people off his fastball and slider, which both are good pitches but are just really quick. So, he wanted something as kind of a change of pace. And so it sounds like the he has worked to develop that. But there are a lot, of, a lot of questions still to get to, Brett. I mean, we've got about a month left in the in the season. We're approaching the deadline. And it's, it's amazing to think that we are at the very end of August. Uh, it seems like so much has happened in such a short period of time. Uh, and who knows uh, on what other big league debuts we'll have in store. We've seen two homegrown prospects so far come up in Aiken and Mountcastle. Uh, But who is next? They think we're wondering that, and I'm sure that that Birdland is wondering that too.
0: Yeah, I think when you see a guy like Ryan Mountcastle come up and then handle his own, which he's done uh, with the walks and the hits, and he certainly has not embarrassed himself in in left field by any stretch of the imagination. It, You know, listen, you can't look at baseball in a vacuum uh, of just a few games, but it validates what fans were thinking all along. and, And I get it. Listen. There's really nothing more exciting for a baseball fan than seeing prospects come up, and, and especially when they're prospects that have been known and have been talked about. It's an industry in baseball right now, talking about prospects and the draft and the minor leagues. And, and it's exciting to watch someone you think might be a cornerstone piece or at least a part of an overall plan come up and then hold their own. And when you see it happen with Mountcastle, you say, I want more. I want more. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm saying that's the fan's perspective, and I get it. So we'll see what happens here over the final month. Uh, but, Jeff, uh, yeah, what one month in, one month to go. Strange time. Uh, and uh, we'll have Inside the Yard next week as well, uh, Tuesday, Friday. So we look forward to that as the uh, Orioles leave St. Pete and travel to Buffalo, New York, to play the Blue Jays. Buffalo, not
1: Toronto. I can't go up there. I'll be in Buffalo a facility Salem field. Uh, we got a little bit of a scouting report on it from our buddy Ben Wagner with the uh, Blue Jays uh, radio network. And so we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to be doing games up there. Uh, it's a triple-A park that apparently is a little too big to be a triple-A park. It's, it's kind of, I guess, Major League light, if you want to refer to it that way. But the Blue Jays have made a number of upgrades. They were trying to find a place where they could play. They, they talked to the Orioles about maybe using Camden Yards at some point as a, as a temporary home. But after they try with the Orioles for a little while, they really were close in Pittsburgh. They eventually couldn't get anything done. And so they are in Buffalo at their AAA facility. And it's going to be interesting when the Orioles make their way up to Buffalo to play their next series.
0: As Chris Berman always says, nobody circles the wagon like the Buffalo, like the Buffalo Bills. Bills. Jeff Arnold, we appreciate it. (laughs) A lot of fun inside the yard, everyone. Thank you so much and be safe.